Pictures up, last looks. Welcome, friends, to episode 296 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm writer Luke Elliott. And I'm filmmaker James Bailey. And this week, we take a look back at all the things we covered in 2023. So I'd like to begin this uh, retrospective episode with a quote. Time has two aspects. There is the arrow, the running river, without which there is no change, no progress, or direction, or creation. And there's the circle, or the cycle without which there is chaos, meaningless succession of instants, a world without clocks or seasons or promises. That is from an author that we covered for the first time this year. Any guesses? Oof, uh, it's very hard to just guess with this quote, but... <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, uh, is it... Thoughtful icon. I don't have it. I don't know. Tell me who it is. All right. Ursula K. Le Guin. Okay. Um, And I really liked this quote because I I think we often think of time as this more linear thing, the arrow as described here, which of course is important for change or progress. But I also like the idea of the cycle and how the year does have seasons and we do circle back and upon ourselves and have a moment to like look back. And and that's kind of what these episodes represent for me. They're these, these points where it stops and then, at the start of a new season, it begins anew, right? And uh, I, I guess that's a, as good a time as any to to announce that we are going to return for our eighth season as we're putting a cap on our seventh season here and taking a look back. Um, yeah, and, and, and it's just it's just fun, I think, to to do these little moments and to to take stock on things and, and yeah. think about everything we did this year. Yeah, I, I like it too because it's that, that moment of reflection it's a time to feel grateful. You know, I think like looking back, I get caught a lot in the hustle and bustle of my industry and just life, decision-making, family, all this kind of stuff. And and you you don't realize until you can look back at it that like you were enjoying yourself. There were fun things. There were tough things you went through and maybe overcame. But uh, yeah, this is a nice one, a nice, nice way for the podcast specifically to look back at what we've covered and kind of be proud of it put a bow on it, move into the next season, kind of refreshed and, uh, you know, anew in a way. Like you said, like, you know, things change, but they kind of stay the same sometimes. So let me outline this episode for you, listener uh, or or viewer, if you're on YouTube. Um, In case you're listening to this for the first time, um, we are going to talk about what our worst read was of the year. So the book that we enjoyed the least. Um, And then we are going to talk about our best read. So we're going to go to either end of the spectrum, what we enjoyed reading the most this year. And um, for all of these, we are looking only at things that we covered as a podcast and that we covered this year. Not that we're released this year as far as like being a 2023 book or, or film, uh, what we happen to cover. Um, after that, we will move into our uh, our watches or adaptations. So we will do our worst adaptation, our worst watch, uh, followed by our, you know, crown jewel of the year, the thing that we both thought was the best adaptation. It doesn't have to be the same, but we're each bringing our nominees 
Um, and, uh, you know, we always invite people to let us know their picks as well. So if you are on YouTube and you can comment, let us know uh, each of your picks, whether or not you agree with ours, all of that kind of stuff. We're, we're interested in, in hearing from you. Um, and that'll be, the, that'll be the outline of the episode. But uh, first off, I just wanted to ask you, James, uh, how your year was? How was your 2023? Uh, it was a big year. I got engaged this year as a major congratulations yeah that's right so uh you know that's my sister how dare you (laughs) caitlin yep so uh i'm glad i'm glad i'm happy for you too thank you and uh just overall it's it's been a year of like growing up i think things that have been in the five-year plan are now like being enacted and that kind of thing where it's like things are things are coming to fruition you have to make new goals and kind of like figure out where you're going to be for the next five, 10 years and, and what, what you want to work towards and what's important. So uh, it's a it's a year that I'll look back on with a lot of fondness. And um, I got to work with a lot of really creative and, and, and cool people this year professionally and just in my personal life. Like I, you know, I have some new closer friends. And yeah, like I said, I feel really grateful at this time of year. And, and I'm thinking about like trips we went on. We went to New York together. That was fun yeah. for, you know, just like a con- podcast connection there. Um, th- you know, things interestingly tend to connect to the podcast in weird ways, like projects that we cover become relevant for one reason or another another, or, or something's coming out around that time. So it's always like this time capsule. These episodes help me look back at the year and become this time capsule of like, oh, yeah, that does remind me. This movie does remind me of this thing that was happening in my own life. Um, yeah. So overall, good year. You know, everybody's safe and healthy, which is a huge deal. Um, and uh, yeah, I just I just continue to to think, like, how can we improve the podcast? You know, how can we keep mm. this thing going? Yeah. And we'll touch in on that at the end, because I, I have some goals for the podcast and um, we'll, we'll revisit that. Um, and, and, and honestly, just speaking of the podcast like these episodes help me look back and put things into context because sometimes we do great stuff early in the year and then towards the end of the year and i'm thinking about my best like i've forgotten that that was even this year and so i it helps me to like look back and think about it in that context right and and and, um pit them all against each other in my mind is kind of a fun exercise uh so yeah excited to get into that just personally for me this was a strange year i know at the end of the last episode uh, the last last looks episode 2022 i was very excited about the querying process um and unfortunately i don't have anything super positive to report i mean there are things that are in that are potentials right i have i have some fulls out i'm waiting to hear back on some things that could be potentially exciting but this has been a year of like paying my dues in a way that i i guess i was hoping i didn't need to do still but i apparently i did and um it's been it's been a, a kind of a grueling process. It's been a um, little bit of a reality check of like how difficult it is right now trying to break into this industry. Um, and you know, I believe in this book still. I really do. Um, and I'm 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 determined to find the path for this book that is going to fit it. And I hope that that will be a traditional route, but maybe it's more of an indie route. Um, because maybe the book is more of like a weird indie film. You know, you think of it in the film way of like, not every film is going to land with a major studio, right? Like they're, they're just not looking for that. And that's kind of what the big five are right now. They're kind of the major studios of, of writing and they have particular things they want. And um, maybe I can, you know, maybe I can find a way to pitch it to them that will work. 
Maybe I can find an agent who's willing to help me develop that and willing to look at my book through that lens. Or maybe I need to go more of an indie route. Uh, maybe that's more appropriate for the story. I don't know. Um, but my one of the things I'm going to talk about at the end is how I'm, I'm, I want to find that out next year. But this year has been kind of a frustrating one in that regard because there's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of no's. You know, there's, there's the, the, the path to becoming a successful published author is paved with rejection. And a creative life where you're trying to pursue art and this kind of thing, and you're trying to go the traditional route, you know, finding a way through these gatekeepers, you are going to encounter so much rejection. It's so much more rejection, I think, than the average per person goes through. Like we all have deal with it a little bit in our own ways, but signing up to be a writer, you're just like signing up to just have way more than the average individual. Um, and it's tough and it hurts. Um, and it's, it's something that you, you, can talk about abstractly all you want, but when you're actually in it and you actually are getting the re rejections, it stings. Um, yep. And uh, I don't know. It's it's uh, next year. Um, I I am looking forward to continuing that journey. Um, this year, I was able to develop a course that I uh, I taught at Rainforest Writers Retreat. Um, and what I'm you know proud of with that is that I have now parlayed that into doing it for money. I'm going to be paid to give this course um, as an online course through Metro West Writers Guild, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. Um, and people, if you want, if you're listening to this and you want to hear me talk about what writers can learn from adaptations, that's the name of the course, um, you can sign up for that. And and you can you can come listen to me talk about that. Um, so that kind of stuff like that, developing the, the other side of my career is something that I, I've enjoyed doing. I, I was on programming at Oricon, at NorwestCon and at World Fantasy Convention uh, in 2023. I'm looking forward to doing some of that stuff in 2024. I'll, I'll touch on that at the end. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's been a mixed bag. Um, you know, of course, in in, in, the, in the world and in the country, talk about mixed bag. It's been it's been a lot of just really terrible stuff happening. Some good stuff. Um, you know, the conflicts all around the world with just are heartbreaking. Um, the scenes that you see, the the atrocities, um, it's just it it's really tough. And I know I really hope for peace um, going forward. And even as I think we're entering a year that's going to be uh, rife with a lot of conflict, um, I, I'm hoping that cooler heads can prevail as much as possible. Globally, it's terrifying seeing innocence brought into conflicts and and just in general, like uh, yeah. it feels like we get as a society, as human beings, like there's we just find ways to to separate ourselves from other groups and and like it it's uh you know it's really heartbreaking because it's just it's one of those things that you want to think that we're going to unify and create a utopia at some point but it just seems yeah. so far away right now it's tough man um and, and that reminds me of another thing i feel about this year and that's that with honestly the fall of twitter um now relabeled as x and how much that broke apart the writing community has is has really been stark to me just how it felt like i was a part of this community that has now fractured and there are pockets of it you can find in different locations there's a pocket of it on threads there's a pocket on blue sky you know a lot of it went to discord and to like these smaller circles but that's harder for new writers to get into and um it's just very fractured and fragmented in a way that i didn't even i, I took for granted how it felt like we were all in the same place for a while for a while there so i'm hopeful that we can find that again we got to get into our, our our main course here, and that's actually doing our reviews of uh, the things we covered. And what an interesting year it was, honestly. We we pivoted more to video. 
uh, was something we did. Um, we kind of did it at a, at a sort of a unexpected way, I would think, if you were to describe it to me. I would have been like, that's not how we're going to do it. But we did. So we had Laura from Why the Book Wins on at the third episode of our Big Little Lies coverage. And she's a YouTuber now, and she's pivoted, I think, fully to YouTube. I don't even think she runs her podcast as audio anymore. And so we thought, like, oh, we're having a YouTuber on. Like, we should release this as full video. We had been recording the video already and, and pulling clips for social media. So it wasn't that big of a change for us to do that. Um, and I think we liked the idea of throwing it in there when it was, like, a little bit less pressure because it's the third one and no one would be expecting it. Um, but that's what we just started then, and we started doing it for the rest of the year. It ended up being, I think, about half the year where we actually did a full video content and um, our, our YouTube audience has been growing. Um, and, and so that's been kind of an unexpected pivot that we did this year, but it has been working out for us. It's funny in last year's last looks, we talk about wanting to do more video stuff and we were, we were doing more social media stuff, but the, yeah. the pivot to full video and like full YouTuber kind of stuff uh, was kind of daunting to me. And, and I will admit you said that it was kind of an easy pivot. It was, there's some, there's some things to consider, especially when it comes to the edit and things like that. But it, it's like, I think it's been worth it. You know, I think it's been, yeah. we've seen a lot of growth there. It feels like a lot of people are consuming podcasts in that space. And Agreed. as, as yeah. much as I don't think everybody wants to see my mug all the time, it, yeah. it seems like it's there are some people who do. So, yeah, well, I, I for the longest time was skeptical about podcasting on YouTube because I was like, who wants to watch a video that's like an hour long or plus or hour and a half? Um, but then I, I, I was reading about it and realizing that people kind of categorize podcasts separately than just your like standard YouTube video. Standard YouTube videos do tend to be in that shorter 20 minute range. But there's kind of a separate category people have for their podcast where they know they're not necessarily actively watching it, but they'll just throw it up on a screen. You know, they'll throw it up on their iPad or whatever, and they'll just have it on. They can glance over it on occasion and feel like you're in the room with the people. Um, but I think it's just like our, our media consumption has become so varied and, and actually like we're pretty good at like changing modes a little bit when, when it depends on the kind of content that we're consuming. So I've been impressed, honestly, with our ability to actually get some traction on some of our videos, um, which do continue to be really kind of streaky and strange when all of a sudden one will blow up and it's hard to even understand why. Uh, I will fully grant that. But um, yeah, that that was kind of where, where we were as a podcast, sort of continuing to evolve. And I and hopefully we'll continue to to evolve in that kind of way. Well, and also like as if if we continue to grow, and I know we will on YouTube in a, in a significant way, like I promise as a filmmaker that like more resources will be pulled into creating better looking content and you know heavier edits and things like that but so that's always you know, a balancing act with like how much yeah. time you want to put into it because we never we never want to get to a point where either of us are burning out because one of the well, reasons we've been able like, to go as long as we've been going is because we have a good division of labor and we're able to fit it into our weeks and still be able to do everything else we want to do so i never want to like lean on you too much for anything so that's always the balancing act on i think we need to try and well, because we're both working professionally as well like this isn't our job uh, or, or at least not our only job if it is one right, of not our, our only job yeah I, it, I do treat it like a job but it's not uh, totally yeah, you have to, to, to be this serious about it. We've been going for long enough to where it is a legitimate job. But uh, my, my point also is like, uh, we will invest more in gear. We will invest more in, in like, uh, you know, setups and things like that to where we can. And like I said, like at some point we may even hire an editor, but this is all things that require a certain uh if anybody knows any like cheap editors let us know because <laughs> like, oh, i know some a lot of money <laughs> i don't know i know some cheap editors but we're still not even in that threshold so we'll get there well man i think we got to get into it so what did we do this year 
I just talking personally when I look through the projects because we we talk best and worst here. I looked through and I was like struggling to find worst. I think we we had we uh, tons of stuff to look through for best. Just to talk about the podcast, the numbers we posted yeah, forty nine episodes this year. Okay. If you include this one, fifty episodes on the main feed, and that includes uh, that includes from the vault episodes. That includes from the vault, yeah. Okay. So twenty one projects were covered in that time period. So whether wow, it that's was a- the same as twenty twenty two, by the way. Because I have the numbers up for last year. So that same number of projects. That's funny how that worked out. 21. And it's weird because sometimes like Wheel of Time took us an entire month to cover for mm-hmm. the novel and the show. And then there'll be one-off projects where it's we do everything, you know, short story and and the film in one go uh, in one episode. So for there to be 21 projects, that's I feel like that's pretty significant. You know, you consider there's only 52 weeks in a year and we're approaching like one every two weeks, basically. So that's kind of cool yeah. to, to note. Um, so I think it's the, been about our about our rate. Eight of the episodes that were posted of the 49, 50, if you include this one, were from the vault episodes. Uh, yeah, I think that's the same amount that we did uh, eight uh, last year. Well, it's a good way for us to balance our professional lives again as well for yeah. us to be able to, if I'm going to shoot that's multiple weeks or you have a convention or something going on. That's we still need not to even one a month, uh, you know, so I think that's still pretty good. We could at some point see that number shift to more like one a month. But right now, I think we're, we're, we're on a good track. So talking about the number of books so I'm counting Edgar Allan Poe's works as one book here. So I'll give you okay. the, uh, the numbers if we consider all the short stories there. But 20 books we covered this year, and that's including uh, short stories, novellas, children's books, novels, and like I said, uh, poems, if you consider Poe's work as well. Yeah. If you include all of Poe's work uh, as individual stories each time, 29 books were read. 29, yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird because you're calling them books. I don't know, but it's like 29 sources. I don't know because like we're counting uh, 29 reads in, in, in the Grove. I think it was or in a Grove that was the basis for Rashomon. That was a short story. So we've done some other short stories that we are counting. So you almost should count every Poe story. Five short stories actually, and like I said, I'm not considering Poe's work all part of that but there's nine short stories that we read that were just poe and one poem so that's 10 works from poe and then five sh- four other short stories or novellas outside of that mm. rashomon the fly rita hayworth and the shawshank redemption and children of the corn that's it's a i feel like it's a one of the biggest number of distinct things that were adapted that we've done um even if even if like the total number of books read i think is probably down from some other years maybe not our lowest but four children's books this year was yeah I, I did feel like we were reading a lot of children's books and a lot of like really classic movies based off of those children's books honestly that's that's one of the things i'll remember most from this year i think wizard of oz pinocchio jumanji and charlie and the chocolate factory there you go uh 11 novels if we were to just talk about books per se okay 11 novels 21 total watch projects mm-hmm. 17 of those were films and okay. four being shows. It's like, how does that all fit into the number of episodes we did? But it does. Um, we just cover, we, we cover overlapping things sometimes, multiple episodes of TV and one well, episode of, sh- of our show and yep. that kind of thing, multiple multiple short stories. And the other thing that, that kind of changed it this year too is there's more total projects that were watch projects than read projects, and that has to do with the fact that we did Good Omens too because we've already read the book, the only source material. Yeah, and exists. it was kind of not even, it was almost a follow-up to the book um, yeah. rather than, than that, yeah. But it felt necessary yeah. to follow up on because we, we Absolutely. I, I still really like that show a lot. A lot of fun with that with that project, honestly. Um, how many guests do we have? So this year we had four guests. Okay, that that is down. That I is think down. we had seven last year. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I'll go ahead and say right now, I want to have more guests on next year. I think I said that last year, and then I totally fumbled that one. Well, seven last year was also with three different podcasts coming on for one project. Which helped get our numbers up a that little bit. That helped get our number to seven, <laughs> yeah. But in general, yeah, I agree. I'd like to have more guests on. I'd like to have more. I'd like to have more. So just to talk about those guests, too, we had Tom Leonard. We had Laura from Why the Book Wins, Mike Whittier, and John Langan. What an interesting array. So Tom Leonard is a great friend of ours, a longtime friend of mine, uh, going all the way back. I mean, I guess for you, too, but like he's basically a part of the family at this point. Um, And he is also a history teacher. And so he joined us for All Quiet on the Western Front and was able to give us some really interesting perspective um, uh, and historical knowledge on that project. Um, and then, uh, yeah, speaking of family, you had Mike Whittier on, who yep. is your cousin, I believe. He's my cousin, yeah, yeah. who's an actor. First, a- first actor we've had on. Yep. So that was a fun, fresh kind of perspective is, is, that we hadn't had before. And I would like to have more filmmaker types on, honestly. Yep. That's something that I feel like we haven't done as much of a, a, as we could. It's definitely in the plans, for sure. More filmmakers, more actors, more people involved, whether they're technical, you know, and, and they're in like a camera department or some sort of audio department or they're producers and, and they they work on like the logistics. I think it'd be fun to have those kinds of people in. And then Laura from Why the Book Wins, um, she's a friend of ours who runs a similar kind of show, um, although she's sort of solo on hers, where we have this discuss, discussion format. Um, but, you know, she, she's great to have on. She understands what we do in a way that is always nice, you know, because that's usually the challenge with, with guests is like, conveying what our show is and what would be expected of them and you know what kind of opportunity it is for them as far as like getting their own uh stuff out there because like we're not talking about their work as much as we're focusing on a different bit of work but um you know it's it's always fun when we can get somebody who who kind of gets it and comes in and, and, and knocks it out of the park and um, speaking of that, John Langan, I thought was fantastic and and such an interesting writer. I did get to read The Fisherman this year. Yeah, one of the one of the uh, novels I read outside the pod, um, and and it was great. Um, and it was it was I didn't finish it until after we had had him on. But Same. Um, yeah, you know, really really good book and um, such a, a a smart guy, such a, a, a insightful uh, person to have a conversation with. And we got to talk about Poe. And as an English teacher as well, he, he just knew a ton about it. So thank you again to all of our guests. And uh, we will have more. And maybe some yeah. of these will, will be recurring guests. We'll, we'll see. All right. I think it's time to move into our first category. Uh, we like to kick things off with our most surprising category. Now, as we go through these, remember, we haven't heard each other's picks. So they're new to us. Um, I have a couple honorable mentions for this category. And then I have my choice. Um, and so for this one, most surprising, we kind of leave it up to us as individuals to decide what that means. Um, but it, it has to do with, for me, it always has to do with expectations and then what I get. And that's where I get my, my choices. So my honorable mentions, first one is The Big Little Lies book by Leanne Moriarty. Um, I was surprised by how much I liked this book. I, I kind of expected to like it, but like I was really taken with it and how well she blended the the comedy with the darker subject matter. Um, it, it, it caught me by surprise. And, and, and honestly, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then the other big surprise um, that, again, these are my honorable mentions, so they're not my pick, was the Twilight film. Um, <laughs> I, I add that, that as one of mine as well. Yeah. OK, that's one of yours. Is that your yeah. pick or is that an honorable that's mention? My, that's my runner up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and for me, it was a surprise. It was my first time seeing it. So I'll get, yeah. get that out there. And I expected this to be absolute dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> and 
it's not it's fine like it's it's an okay movie it's nothing that i'm gonna it's not in my top picks of the year nowhere nowhere even close right um but it's not as bad as i i think i had like made it up to be in my mind and my expectations were it was gonna be absolutely excruciating to watch and it wasn't Mm -hmm. um so yeah it was surprising in that regard still not my main pick yeah so the reason it's surprising to me i'd already seen it i'm familiar with it uh i think it's just surprising and i get i like to get creative with some of the topics we give ourselves it's it's surprising because of how much fun we had it with it as a podcast like if i considered what i thought an episode of ink to film looked like about twilight and the film specifically uh, I didn't think it would be that much fun, and I was just so surprised that it was. It was kind of a joy, and our and our listeners liked it and and, and got involved, and yeah, it was it was cool. And I think we will return to that series at some point. Agreed. I actually do have one other runner up though. Um, okay. My runner up for most surprising uh, was Knock at the Cabin. It surprised me in the way that it wasn't what the original source material really put in my mind. Yeah, and we should say the... we're gonna try not to like spoil, especially anything new. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about things in in vague ways. Yeah, but Knock at the Cabin was a. Uh, I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I've kind of been building up Shyamalan in my mind. The last few projects he's done have kind of been building back some good grace for me, and and I was like, this is some really, it's got some rich source material that he can do a lot of cool things with, and it fits kind of yeah. that Shyamalan twist kind of style. But he but he really fun kind of changed it, and and I yeah. think that that surprised me for sure. Big changes in that one. It was it was surprising. That's that's a solid pick, honestly. As far as like what you were what you were hoping for and then what you got. Okay, so how about actual pick? Uh, should I give mine first then? Go for it, yeah. All right, so mine was the Train Spotting book. Cool. It was written in this Scottish dialect that I I had heard that that was the case, but reading that was unlike anything else I've ever read. Um, I I I walked away from it feeling mixed because it was a very difficult read for that reason. The prose was just tough. Um, I listened to the audiobook at the same time as reading the physical, and it helped me so that I could kind of understand how stuff was being pronounced. But even so, it's full of all this dialect that, like, I don't know what it means, and it doesn't really help you. Um, And I had to, like, look up some of it. You know, I think there's a glossary in the back of the book that, like, helps a little bit. And, like, you eventually get to the point where you're almost, like, translating this other language. Um, there's certainly a, a fun element to it. And that's why it's not necessarily like a bad read. It was just a surprising read. I was not expecting to have to go through all of these hoops to be able to even understand what was happening. Um, and I've never read a book like that before. So it, that was a unique one to me. Yeah, I liked it actually. Um, I considered putting this as one of my runner ups for, for best read because of just how it, it, it kind of uh encompasses and and like gives a great perspective on that culture that i'm not really a part of that that i think is it doesn't exist as much anymore i think it's it's as far as i know it's it's kind of a culture that that subculture that specific subculture at that specific time um and yeah it just screams 90s to me in in a lot of ways and and uh I really enjoyed it, and I considered, like I said, putting it in the, in the runners-up. All right, so what was your choice, though, for most My surprising? most surprising was Flanagan taking many different Poe stories that are disjointed and... Well, they're, they're not disjointed. They're just unrelated, and then making them related in a show called Fall of the House of Usher that we covered on Netflix. Yeah. Um, it was just so... I, I couldn't imagine taking all of those works, like I said, unconnected, connecting them, having this overarching theme and having like the Raven and Fall of the House of Usher be like sort of the main or and also uh, Cask of Amontillado. 
yeah, like pen, the, the pendulum. The, like there's a lot of them that are. But those are kind of the main framing devices with like individual stories. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, that that are like sprinkled throughout. Yeah, but he rolls in the Mask of the Red Death and the Pit and the Pendulum and Telltale Heart. Like all these like iconic works are all somehow in the same thing. Yeah. I can see why you choose this one. I had high expectations and it met it and, and in some ways exceeded that. It was almost going to be an honorable mention for me in my best uh, my best watch of the year. Um, I liked it that much, but ultimately when I look at it compared to some of his other work, I don't think it's quite to the same level. And if it's not quite to the same level as some other stuff he's done, it couldn't quite crack my best watch of the year because there's some really some huge standouts that we'll get to uh, as we continue to progress. But I like that pick as the most surprising. Give it a little bit of its laurels because um, it was a really interesting adaptation to cover. Uh, a lot of fun. And and yeah, I agree. The way he was able to synthesize all this different stuff into one show, pretty astonishing. And I've heard a lot of people come up to me and be like, oh my gosh, have you seen, you know, talking about the podcast and that kind of thing, adaptations, asking if they've seen, if I'd seen a fall of the house of Usher. I think it struck a chord and I think people really enjoy this, this, uh, as kind of its own work at this point, you know, it's because it's like all it's like the Poverse now. Yeah. Yeah, man, I'm so interested to see what Flanagan does in the future. I, I, he's got so many things that he's he's in the potential to do, like he's going to maybe do a Dark Tower for Stephen King. And we can talk forward with that as far as I know, looking ahead stuff. Um, he's just such an interesting filmmaker and his ability to adapt is is actually pretty impressive. So next up, uh, we're going to be tackling our worst read of the year. But as a little bit of a palate cleanser in between these two things, I just wanted to outline where we were downloaded this year as far as stateside. Top five states. Uh, just briefly, last year, from five to one, we were downloaded in Oregon, Washington, California, Florida, and Texas, number one. Um, we've had some, some uh, realigning. And uh, I think one new newcomer from five to one, number five, Maryland newcomer, first arrival on the on the on the list here. Yeah, um, I don't know who I know in Mar Maryland, but uh, I'm glad they've been listening. <laughs> that's the that's the nature of the Internet. We don't know. We don't Thanks know. Thanks for listening. Um, followed by Oregon, which is where I live. So it makes sense that it's in the top five. But yeah, number four, um, number three is Texas, number two, California, and all the way up to the number one spot, Florida. So Florida really coming with it this year. And that was across both YouTube and uh, uh, all of our audio was was Florida was way up there on both. I was kind of surprised to see that. Yeah. Shout out Florida. That's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, it's where it's where we're both from. It's where yeah. you're at currently. It makes sense that it would do well there. But like, again, we're talking about big numbers of people on, you know, the Internet. And it's like for some reason, Florida is getting. Yeah. There's I mean, some uh, big, shown our videos. I quite know. a few cultural hubs, Orlando, Tampa, True. Miami. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe there's some sort of geolocating thing where it's like, oh, this show is being produced in Florida, so we're yeah. going to show it it's to people just, in there. I it's don't just know. the ultimate guerrilla marketing. I slip I slip little business cards in people's in people's pockets when they're not looking. So. <laughs> All right. So let's get into honestly, it's kind of my it's like a sad category for me a little bit, but I feel like we need to do it. And that's the worst read of the year. Um just because I, I like being positive, but yeah, I think course. it's it's also good to look back and say what what really didn't strike a chord. Um, and that varies from year to year. Sometimes it's like a runaway. This one was awful. Um, other times, you know, it's kind of it's kind of tough. Um, I do have a dishonorable mention. Um, Me too. Yeah. It, 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 it is my my runner up. It's not my worst pick, but I, I felt like I needed to sort of nod at it. Um, and, and, and honestly, I feel a little mean, but uh, I'm still going to do it. So mine is Twilight, 
by <laughs> Stephanie Meyer. Um, we just how talked about the you. movie and how, how and how it wasn't that bad. And honestly, the book isn't that bad either. It's not as bad as I was thinking it might be. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it is. I think I called it junk food um, while we were reading it. And it's not that I didn't have an okay time with it. It wasn't like it wasn't entertaining, but like it is pretty poorly written. Um, and the writer brain that I've developed over the years, there were so many things that were just bothering me as I was reading it. Um, that it's hard for me to like ignore that. In a year where I read it, I, I kind of got to put it at least on, as a dishonorable mention. The vampires are going to come for you, man. They're going to descend on you. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I can understand choosing that. I'm sure some people are, are, are like, you know, even fans of it, I think, would, would admit that there are some things about it that, that would have it in a category like that. But my, uh, my runner up, my dishonorable mention is um, Pinocchio. Yeah. And, okay, um, I could see that. I think there's a theme with my, with my worst reads this year. I, you know, granted, we're not the target demo for Pinocchio, but <laughs> Pinocchio also had yeah. some some lingering Written things. hundreds of years ago. <laughs> yeah, it had some lingering things that just don't hold up. And, and like we I think we called it like parental propaganda or something like yeah. that. And it, it really, the whole it really the whole is, book is like, do this or else, you know, something bad will happen to you. And a lot of that, it's just like it, it, you're whacking me over the head with it. And um, this isn't the kind of book I want to introduce to a child I may one day have either. I I, it, I will because it's a I'll probably show them the film or something because yeah. I enjoyed that quite a bit more. Absolutely. But uh, the the book kind of it, it's aged uh, poorly, I, I would say, at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I almost considered that one like it was it was borderline. But because we did the the version that had the Gris Grimley art in it, absolutely. it kept it it kept it out of it for me because I, I really like that art. Yeah, um, and that that kept it from being my worst. That's actually character. a good consideration. Yeah. I might yeah. be, that art is really cool and unique, and I, because really of that, cool. I maybe should have shifted that out. Uh, well, like you said, but we're sticking with it. We're yeah. sticking with it. Uh, so so anyway, there's a bit of a theme to my to my worst reads, and maybe it's not fair. And there's a bit of a I might know where you're going with this. Yeah, there's a bit of recency bias with this one as well. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald right. Dahl. Yeah. Um, it, I thought you it, might go all the way back to Frank Baum. Our other, you know, children's book we did, but it, you went with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, because we talked about some of the problematic elements and things that just didn't hold up for sure. me. I said there's a bit of magic in the story, and I don't necessarily think that this is like an absolutely terrible story, but the the elements that are terrible are pretty bad. And again, I would maybe show uh, the film to to a child <laughs> that I maybe yeah. one day have rather than this story. That's fair, man. Yeah, that that one, um, it has some things that that did not age well even after it got revised right yeah. and and we've talked about that's an interesting history of as far as like the history of that book and, and changes it's undergone yeah. and to address uh, it for people who didn't mess maybe listen to that episode there's some some racial over over and undertones maybe <laughs> like there's some there's some racist yeah, no things it's racist there. right like yeah. it, there, there's some racist stuff that goes on um you know it's not overt but it's there um and it used to be worse is is the thing that we we sort of uncovered as we looked into it um, but still uh, enough to make you uncomfortable. Um, but I mean, also overall, the book is, I don't know, it doesn't have quite the magic of the films. So I think that probably affects it too, right? Like it's yeah. not just that. There's other elements that that just, it, it feels like at some point it's redundant and you're going, it, it, you, it's the formula you see it and they're going through. And I know it's a kid's book and maybe it shouldn't be held to that that kind of standard where it's going to surprise you along the way. But it, it was fine. And ultimately like in a, in a category of, uh, in a category like this where we've covered a lot of great things this year, it stood out to me. All right, that's not my choice. So I have one that you that might surprise you. I, I had to kind of dig to highlight, but it, it stood out to me ever since I read it. And it was just like this one was just a, a very unpleasant experience. 
that was reading The Gold Bug by Edgar Allan Poe. Okay. Um, which was one of the short stories we covered for the fall of the House of Usher. It was the, the title of one of the episodes in the fall of the House of Usher. And it was a stinker by far compared to all the rest. I, I don't, I didn't really get it. I just think they liked the title. There was a certain element of like being greedy, I guess. But the story itself featured a really unfortunate and racist caricature of a, of, of, of a black person that made me super uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and even I think for the time was racist. Um, and it's just bad. It just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And then beyond that, it was a, a, a story all about this, like deciphering a code that I found super boring. It was just so dry. It didn't care. Um, very tough to read. And, and, and among all these iconic works from, from Poe, it really stood out as, as a, a very different kind of one. The adapted episode is unrecognizable for, from the source yeah. material too. Like uh, the, the one that we got for Flanagan, it wasn't even, you know, it was one of my least favorite episodes, I think of that season. But I think like the things that bothered me about um, like the Oompa Loompas in, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you're highlighting this, this character is even more so offensive. Oh, and, even more so. And, and yeah. Crazy ways. And, and it's like you said, it was difficult to read. Yeah. And honestly, I thought like you might not even consider it because it was again, like one of the many stories that we read for Poe, but yeah. I just, it really stood out to me. I had to highlight it. Oh man. I, I hate talking about worst reads. So let's move on. We are going to get to our best reads, but before we do, I wanted to talk about some percentages real quick, just briefly. Because this was an interesting thing for us. This was a change this year. And I, don't, I didn't break down the percentages of previous years, but it, it was much different. This year, we got 44% of all of our downloads from YouTube. Um, that was a huge shift. Like we, we had done okay on YouTube leading into this, but um, as far as like percentages of the whole. Now, I made sure, by the way, didn't include YouTube shorts. And I didn't include any views on on things that didn't come out this year so this is mm -hmm. only on content released this year um and because of that that shows to me that youtube is definitely something we're going to have to lean into going forward because we're getting a lot of a lot of traction on there um outside of youtube just because uh, uh, i was curious to see our next two biggest 29 percent on apple still a a pretty large share of our listeners are coming from there i think it's a lot of our diehards who've been with us for a long time who just listen on audio or happy listening to audio and like i'm so grateful for them and happy to have them um and then beyond that spotify was our third largest and that's only at nine percent um meaning meaning our apple is like three times as big than our than our spotify audience which if you look across the industry that doesn't really hold true for like the greater trends. So I feel like we almost need to like shore up our, our Spotify numbers a little bit. Like we're not, I don't know what we can do more to get Spotify listens, but um, we're, we're not getting as much traction there yeah. as maybe other shows are. I mean, I, if we get Taylor Swift on the podcast, our Spotify downloads, because I heard she was the most, <laughs> most listened artist on there. So if we get her on the pod, we're, we're, yeah. Or know. Travis Kelsey. Or Travis uh, Kelsey. <laughs> Uh, I mean, but honestly, if you if you uh, if you are someone who listens to us on, on Spotify, make sure you leave us a rating, I guess. Maybe that'll help. I don't know. Um, but anyway, I just thought that was interesting. And then, uh, of course, like the other percentages is just from all the other things. Like there's a bunch of other places that we are at. And it's a lot of like little one percent, two percent kind of things. Um, but, you know, we, we appreciate listeners wherever they come from. I just thought that was an interesting thing to note how much of our, our, our lion's share of our downloads are coming from from YouTube this year. Um, but let's get into my favorite category arguably. And that's the best read. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll knock out both book categories here early. Um, do you want to start off on this one? 
Sure, yeah. I have a couple runners up here. This is a, okay. the best read. And if and, you say a project that is either a runner up or my pick, I will chime in. So I had a couple on the best read and best watch. Those are the ones that are harder to whittle down. So this in this case, I have uh, two runners up that I'll talk about. The first being All Quiet on the Western Front. It was a really moving story um, from a perspective in the war that I haven't like experienced much. Um, and it just, it's like, it really highlights the tragedy of it. And it, again, talking about being grateful, like that's not something that I have to go through. And yeah. you that, mean like you haven't experienced it through media as much because it's not covered as much as World War II. No, I mean, from the German side, especially from the German side. Yeah, yeah specifically. Yeah. So, so, uh, that, that, yeah, seeing that perspective and it's not just this, the winners create the story and the dialogue going forward, like hearing from, Germans and and yeah. um, specifically Eric Maria Remark was the author of that one, and um, I I will go ahead and say that was one of my honorable mentions. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm with you, man. What a what it's a haunting problem. stuff, and it's like uh, it feels like fiction at times, and it's like uh, which yeah. you know he he fictionalized some things, but ultimately like based on stories that he cobbled together from many different people. He was you know he himself was a was a veteran. Yeah, um, yeah, powerful, and it's it's um it's an anti-war book, war book. And that's the kind of stuff. If I'm going to read about a war that I'm that I'm interested in, I want to read about what it was really like. That shows how awful it, it is, and doesn't try and aggrandize it. Doesn't try and spin propaganda about it being this great thing. Yeah. And um, it was it was like one of my favorite books is the things they carried, and uh, by Tim O'Brien. And this to me was like the forefather of that book. It, it was that kind of thing. And it was one that a lot of people read in school and I had somehow missed. So I was so glad to get to go back to it and, and yeah. read that book. It's the kind of, it shows the horrors of, of the scenario and um, it, it doesn't, it, it does it in an unflinching way that allows you to kind of say like, this is what we hope to not repeat. And, and these are the lessons to be learned uh, when it seems like, again, our, even our world currently is, is, you know, many countries are, are on the brink of war or at war currently. So it's just, it's a scary thing to contend with and what human beings are capable of. Um, do you want to give your, your other honorable sure. mention? Did you say you had another one or? Yeah. My other one is the cabin at the end of the world, uh, Paul Tremblay. And, uh, this story is awesome. This is why it was surprising to me that Shyamalan, uh, that adaptation didn't end up just like in my favorites of the year. Uh, it was so cool the way that he navigated, the super possible supernatural entities and and the the idea of uh you know what it means if without spoiling what it means if you believe something or if you don't uh, how yeah. that can affect you and how that can affect your perception and your decision making process um and uh just that that a lot of terror in the book a lot of heartache some some like really low lows but some really high highs and low lows i mean i don't mean as like a bad thing i mean as like yeah. uh terrible things to to read that are uh you know that affect you this is one of my other honorable mentions as well i wanted to have something that was like pretty recent too to, to rep be represented in this category and um i agree man he somehow made like blind belief and blind faith into this villain into this this force even as he presented what is so appealing about it to people. And he didn't like, he didn't say like, oh, this is so dumb that they believe this. He right. gave a lot of evidence, right? And it's like, oh, it's so cleverly written. Uh, I was just so impressed with it. And that's a, that's a hugely divisive book, by the way. Whenever I talk to people about it, like <laughs> a lot of people really don't like that book. Um, yeah, there's one specific thing that sticks out. 
Yeah. yeah, there is. There's there's a point where a lot of people, I think, you know, threw the book across the room or put it down. It's not even my favorite book I've read. I think I like uh, uh, Head Full of Ghosts more uh, from him. Um, but man, it's a really it's a really good book. Um, so I had to give it an honorable mention as well. Um, wow. Okay. So should I give my my top choice? This might be the year where we we go three for three, all the same. <laughs> Maybe um, I have a it, sneaking it depends suspicion. Where you went. Yeah. Let let you go ahead first, and and okay. then I'll uh, say if it's the same. Okay. R.I.P. Cormac McCarthy. Uh, we lost him this year, and we got to tackle the road. Um, and this is one of my favorite books. I think um, I absolutely love this book. As dark and bleak as hell as it is, it is stunning. And that episode that we we did on it, it's like you can tell because I read like ten passages. I feel like in that episode um, because they're devastating and they're the kind of thing that you just want to like sit and stare out a window for five minutes after you read them. Like it's so good. It's so rare for me to find stuff like that because it's just hard to make. And it's it's a rare talent to be able to produce um, that kind of thing. And I, I just am hugely impressed with him. Um, and yeah, I have to give it up for The Road and Cormac McCarthy this year. Best read was, of the year. That was my uh, best read of the year as well, The Road. Unanimous, man. We did All it. three. It, yep. If we do the same thing with the watches, that that's that would be really <laughs> stunning. This might be the first time that we've done it at all for any either category. We may have, have had, to go back and look. Yeah, we may have had the the, the um, top choice, the top choice, the same. Yeah, year, correct. but both honorable mentions being the same. Wow. Yeah, uh, the road. Yeah, it affected me deeply. It came at a time when I was dealing with loss and like it was. Oh, my God, it was heavy. And and it's just a story is we lost Cormac McCarthy. The, the way that he writes prose, the way that he breaks conventions, the way that he is so poetic and so thought provoking that that book really. Uh, really took me on a journey and and yeah uh, it's definitely my favorite read of the year and i'll return to that book for sure at some day yeah I, absolutely man um i also can't wait to to cover more of him i, I know he's had a few more adaptations there's a bl- talk of this blood meridian adaptation that i really hope we get so that i we, i can read that book and, and we can cover it on the pod because i would love to return to mccarthy um i will give a quick shout out to a book that i read outside of the pod which i know is not typically what we do but i i, I did read some books outside in this other like book club i'm in mm-hmm. and i got to read the first Murderbot book which is called all systems red by martha wells and i just really love Murderbot. I, i'm i'm so late to this but like it's been Murderbot has been talked about a ton um, and then, of course, after I read the book, we get this announcement that there's like, a, 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 you know, an adaptation coming. Um, um, Alexander Skarsgård is going to star in it. And I'm like, oh, I'm super excited for that. Now it could be a project. But um, it's just funny that that happened to happen after I'd read the book. But I really enjoyed this thing, man. And I hope that actually one day we will get to talk about it on the pod because it is really fun. Yeah, you should read more like uh, critically acclaimed and like universally loved material so that it gets adapted soon <laughs> after. I think that's what the, the moral of the story is there. Yeah, apparently. All right, man. Uh, wow. So best read. That, that's so cool that we we were in full agreement there. Um, let's talk about the top five countries we were downloaded in real quick outside of the U.S. So last year from five to one, we had Belgium, Germany, Canada, Australia, U.K. This year at number five, we have Sweden. Knocks out Belgium. Number four, Canada. Number three, Germany. Number two, Australia. Number one, UK. So a lot of similar ones there, but just some interesting jockeying that went on. And that's including YouTube. I rolled them all in together. Um, but yeah, it's fun to see Sweden sort of some come come crashing into the top five. 
I say it every year, but this, it's it's mind blowing to me. Uh, just just knowing that there are people out there from many different cultures that are that are interested in hearing what we have to say, and it, again, humbling. I say it every year. It's a humbling experience, and and I appreciate it. And someday we'll we'll maybe we'll do Ink to Film live in all those countries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would that'd be. Let's do it. <laughs> Dream come true. Yeah. So. Yeah. If money were no object. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um. Love that. All right, man. So now we got to get into our worst watch of the year on the film side, the worst adaptation we saw this year. Um, so bummer. do you want to start off on this one? Yeah, this is a bummer. Yeah. I'll give my dishonorable mention. Dishonorable mention, yeah. It's not aggressively bad, but it's something that I look back on, and it's it's an outlier, I think, in the stuff that we watch. And that's the adaptation of The Lathe of Heaven. And oh, interesting. this okay. comes down to, I think, again, expectations. Um, and like when comparing to a source, I think that it's a bit unfair because it's kind of a made for television version. It's yeah. got clearly like maybe the lowest budget of anything that we covered this year at the time. It was made for broadcast. Viewing it was like difficult. Uh, there it was like a pretty terrible version of it that exists out there at this point uh, as far as like viewing qualities. And uh they did the best they could with some of the experimental stuff with like the light and the smoke that stands out to me visually. But outside of that, it just, it, it didn't even get close to capturing what I thought uh, Ursula K. Le Guin was able to in a, in a really like almost like metaphysical, I don't know if that's the correct term, but like a journey that like, no, I think that is outside <laughs> like the realm of, of anything that I would consider to be like realism. So it was really cool. She's such a brilliant writer. And um, she she was on, honestly, The Lay of the Heaven was almost one of my most surprising choices, just in how much I, w- I was expecting to like and enjoy and be, in, um, you know, engaged by Le Guin. And I was, but in like a way I didn't expect mm-hmm. and with a plot that I did not see coming and such a such a fascinating, fascinating book. And it, like, ultimately, I didn't love it, but I have so much respect for it. And I enjoyed it. And like, I want to read more Le Guin going forward um, to sort of round out my exposure to her because I haven't read a, a, a ton of her stuff. Um, I, and then, yeah, this adaptation, I think the only reason it didn't make my dishonorable mention um, or top choice was that made for TV aspect of it. Like, I almost gave it like I gave it credit for doing what it did on the budget it had. Because mm-hmm. there were some actually pretty interesting, uh, you know, interpretations of these scenes that I was like, how are they even going to attempt this? And then I was actually kind of impressed. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, yeah, I, I couldn't quite couldn't quite get it that low, but I can see why you would. So my I, I have to get my dishonorable mention out of the way and then okay. I can get with my worst. Yeah, I can do back to back if you want. But my my it. dishonorable mention was knock at the cabin. Um, okay. As we discussed, you talked about for your most surprising. And for a lot of the reasons you said surprising, it was my runner-up bad watch um it had things going for it it had some good performances um you know there were things to like about it it just flubbed the ending so badly that it just the whole thing deflated and and i left that theater feeling so disappointed um to me it it took everything that made tremblay's book interesting and made everything about making that premise work and, and, and changed it in a way that made it to where that premise no longer worked for me. Um, I was just so bummed and I, I really wanted the magic that Tremblay was able to achieve um, in the book with the way he staged that ending and the way he approached it very meticulously. Um, that to me just 
Shyamalan did not seem interested in even attempting, had his own thing he wanted to do and did it and made the whole experience feel cheap and um, fundamentally less interesting. Yeah, uh, I'm going to pile on because this is my worst watch of the year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, to pile on, you fundamentally change a story that had a lot of uh, like nuance to it and ambiguity and instead make a decision, say this is what's happening and it's inc way less interesting. And then, like you said, the ending is just botched and doesn't understand the 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 story from the outset, like the point of telling the story and got wrapped up around the idea of like people coming to a cabin and coming after this family. I think it's held back by limitations of vision. I think like Shyamalan decided this is with he, he I think from what I understand, he was fascinated in telling a story about X thing. And that's not what Tremblay set out to do. And so like it should have just been a, its own movie. It should have been a separate thing. Shouldn't have been an adaptation. Um, it, performances like Batista was cool in it. I, I yeah. like uh, a lot of the people that are in it. Um, there were some moments. There's some moments of tension. Uh, it, it's well shot in, in certain scenarios and certain sure. moments. But but uh, it just it falls short of what it could have been. And yeah. it's so unfortunate because what are the chances this gets adapted again? Yeah, pretty low. I do hope more Tremblay's work will get done. Yeah. Um, such an interesting author. And I think that, that how good the book was, I think, did also really make it such a stark contrast when, when we got this film. Um, but it wasn't ultimately my top choice. Although, you know, talking with you about it, maybe it should have been. But uh, my my top choice was The Children of the Corn by Stephen oh, wow. King. Uh, okay. Not the story, rather, the adaptation. Yeah, the film, uh, yeah. Fritz Kirsch uh, did this thing. Um, I, I just thought this was, I mean, it's it's super schlocky. It's very B-movie. It's very 80s. And, and I like a lot of that stuff. So mm -hmm. I can see why maybe maybe um, it wasn't as bad for you. Remind, like, had you seen it before? I had never seen it before. Okay, yeah. So that's I think nostalgia blinded me here a little bit because I didn't yeah. even consider it. Yeah, I had no nostalgia blinders for this thing. I was just like, man, this is just kind of a bad movie. <laughs> yeah. It just everything about it, you know, the whole ending, like choices made throughout, um, performances were were just so stiff and strange and. Yeah, there's some moments that that will stand with that, that will stick with me, but like it's just overall not a good movie. Yeah. Um, and so to me, it just it just stood out as the worst the worst thing I watched for the podcast this year. Watching this at sleepovers in the like '90s and early 2000s and that kind of stuff, I think definitely skewed my opinion on it. Because when you talk about it, you're like, of course, yeah, it's it doesn't even get close to Stephen King's original work. But I think of that kid and the cornfields and I think of like how much it actually did scare me when I was younger but it totally makes sense I, I get why you picked that one we can move on we have our main event coming up but before we get to that um, what we've done historically is given our top 10 most downloaded episodes um, and and that we give that for a reason and that's that I think if people wanted to look at like what's hot what's doing well what's getting a lot of downloads they can go look for that but I found an interesting discrepancy that I talked to you a little bit about before we started and that's that on YouTube and on our audio across all other platforms, we got pretty different results in our most five, our five most downloaded things. So I kind of wanted to present those separately. So I'll just do the five most for each. Um, and there's only one thing that overlaps. Um, but let, let me give it to you. Do you want um, YouTube or do you want all audio first? Uh, let's start with audio. We had number five, creepier in the film, our watch of Twilight, episode 263. 
Um, we already talked about you know this project and and, and how much you know, we actually had a pretty fun time and you know covering it. And I think it was popular as evidenced by this. Um, you know, our number five most downloaded across all audio platforms. Uh, and then number four, wild POV usage, which was our read of the cabin at the end of the world. I already talked about that project, how much we like that book. That episode came in at number four. Number three, The Weeping Tin Killer. This was our first episode of the year. Um, it was our, our, our talk on uh, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz uh, by Frank Baum, I think was the author's name, mm-hmm. written in 1900, um, which we haven't talked uh, about The Wizard of Oz at all. So it's nice to kind of touch base here a little bit. That was an interesting project. Um, and yeah, followed up by number two, Introducing the World to Color, uh, the Watch of the Wizard of Oz is our number two most downloaded on audio. Um, and that was a super fun one. Got to get into a lot of film history stuff that um, was fascinating to talk about. In 2022, Last Looks, we talked about wanting to start the year with a bang. And you mentioned um, Rashomon. We mentioned a few other things here and there. Uh, but starting with Wizard of Oz was it's huge. I mean, just like yeah. monumental. And when people think about classic film, it's like one of the first things that jump into their mind. And uh, it was cool to it was cool to get to talk about it. I also like that how long an episode has been out. We can see in the data that like it gets more downloads as it goes on. So it's not like right when it comes out, everybody sees it and then doesn't check it out for the rest right. of the year. It seems like especially on week. audio, we we have a yeah. bit of a tail. Um, all right, and then our number one, which is actually the only episode that overlaps with our with our YouTube audience as being a top five. Number one was our Twilight book episode, Junk Food in Literary Form. That's so cool. Twilight Book, number one, most downloaded on audio. It was our number five on YouTube. So let me real quick give you our YouTube rankings. So number five was that one. Number four, Poor Devils Like Us, our read episode for All Quiet on the Western Front. We already talked about how powerful a book that is yeah. um, and, and, and how much fun we had covering it. Um, our number three, Going Beyond Katniss, our Watch of the Hunger Games, which we haven't mentioned yet that we covered this this year. It's another, like, if you look at that, there's a lot of similarities between Twilight and the Hunger Games, both doing well, um, but different ones on different platforms. Um, cool to see that uh, doing so well. And then number two and number one are going away, by far our most popular on YouTube. And not even, like, they're, they're like, in our, like, mid-tier, like, 30th on audio. So it's really interesting to see how, how much these episodes took off on YouTube. And that is our two episodes on Good Omens. Um, our second episode on Good Omens 2, which was episodes four through six of the show, that was our number two, only surpassed by number one, our Good Omens 2, episodes one through three. These ones, by far and away, most popular on YouTube. They did really well. We had like 100 comments on each video. Like I might be over uh, you know, exaggerating that a little bit, but we got a ton. People were really passionate, um, wanted to share their thoughts with us. And honestly, I love that. Like, I wish we could have more of that in our other episodes, just like the engagement. Like, it felt like I was in this, like, I I wanted to say book club, even though this wasn't a book episode, but like I was in this like movie watching show watching club and we all got to talk about it. And we gave our takes on the episode and then people gave their takes in the comments, you know, Um, it was really cool to see. And um, it was so interesting and so strange too how it really took off on YouTube and didn't do nearly as well on audio. It's also a huge like inspiration for us to like, we get a lot of energy from that, right? Like, like getting to engage with fans like that. um, And like we do typically have a, a few people that we'll communicate with here and there per episode. Um, but like seeing that level of engagement was really fun. And yeah, just following along with how how well it was doing and people people were really clicking into that. So I think it's safe to say 
those episodes I think are awesome. I'm I'm pretty proud of almost every episode we put out this year. But it's definitely safe to say we'll be back to more good omens when when that yeah. show comes back. Announced by the way, confirmed that they are coming back for a third season on Amazon. Um, I think the showrunner showrunner is changing. Neil Gaiman still like heavily involved primary showrunner, but I think the yeah. co showrunner he had is changing. But it's going to be uh, we're going to get the adaptation that we were all hoping for. I think so. Yeah, we'll definitely return for that. I mean, we have to. Um, okay, so time for the main event. It's our best watch of the year. It is the best adaptation we covered as a podcast for the year. Doesn't have to be the same, but maybe it will be if history has shown us anything from what's been going on so far this this year. <laughs> um, how do you want to do this one? You want to you want to start off with honorable mentions? You want me to? So I have a feeling that these aren't going to line up for us, but what I am going to do the easy thing here, and I'm, it's a little bit of a cop out, and it's something that I've done in past episodes. And point to a couple that like have just like sheer impact that can't be overstated. Uh, and it's Rashomon and Psycho are two films that like stand in the pantheon of greatest films ever made. And it's so weird to even try to compare them to anything that's like come out in the last year or so or yeah. something even that's like 10 years old or something like these films are like made by filmmakers that influence a generation and continue to be like the historic figures in the industry with Kurosawa and Alfred Hitchcock. And uh, so like those, I'm just going to say, I'm setting those aside in a different tier. They're excellent. So, They're amazing. So those are, are not your honorable mentions? They couldn't, I couldn't even put them in my honorable mentions because I feel like it would just be one and two and they're both like, I could swap them either way. Okay, well, those are my honorable mentions, both okay. of them. Yeah. So um, I'll go ahead and, and, and I guess talk about those a little bit because it was my first time watching either of these films. Um, had a great time with them both. Um, and I, I got to appreciate the historical context for them through our coverage. Um, obviously, you know, Alfred Hitchcock, everything he's done for the horror genre and just for film in general. Um, and then it's Akira Kurosawa, who I had never watched. I don't know. I'd seen one of his films before, but like I think you said Yojimbo you'd seen. Yojimbo right? I had seen yeah. before, but like getting to just really study the filmmaking and and, and the not Rashomon a samurai effect. film yeah not a samurai film Rashomon not effect. A sam and just seeing the level of filmmaking on display from both of these filmmakers yet it being so long ago um it's it's uh really impressive to me and it really kind of shook my sense of like what was being accomplished in film at those time periods when you see this you're like oh okay this was being done um both both incredible and they were both my honorable mentions Okay, cool. I'm glad that I that you highlighted them in those categories. I feel like it, when those come up, I feel like they're in a pantheon that I can't even rank. It's just like, yeah, that's <laughs> obviously the best thing that you're gonna you're gonna cover that year. Um, yeah, so my were, they were my pick though. Yeah, so my honorable mentions. Uh, I'll just name the two. I really have three, and or four. <laughs> wait, wait, no, 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 no. We can't do this many. No, I'm not going to. So, so this is what I would say. Train spotting was one for me that stood out this year as an honorable mention. That like just Danny Boyle doing that like really interesting energetic 90s filmmaking thing that he does here with the source material and then and then crossing over with Ewan McGregor into this medium and the way that like it's so connected to the energy of the book like the editing the way that he shoots it the way that it feels like um 
like grungy and it feels like it's being it's being put together in that way and then we found out in our research for the film that like it was shot in such a short period of time and a lot of it was like guerrilla shooting in in ways where they maybe weren't even necessarily allowed to be uh i thought that one stood out to me as one this year that that i look back and i'm like that's just an excellent movie and and an adaptation that i'd seen before but one that stands out as like probably one of the best watches of the year when i was trying to cut down my honorable mentions that was one that, that got cut um really really interesting film the the use of color stands out to me and how he was able to find beauty in a lot of these like really gross moments um and and gross sequences um and then like truly leaning into the gross at other times so don't get me wrong um yeah a really really well-made film um and fascinating subject matter yeah that counterculture that that f you to society that i think is important to have every now and then uh i really enjoy that so my other honorable mention uh has to be all quiet on the western front uh that we watch on netflix i felt like the filmmaking that was uh and again an international film so like they it was it was being adapted and told by german filmmakers and i think that that's really important and really cool and uh again harrowing i think it it accomplished a lot of what the the book does here it is so stark in ways and they really shot in trenches and uh yeah, it's it's one of the, it, it, those two together, the the source material and the adaptation, really uh, you know leave a leave a lasting impact on me. Yeah, I really like that one, man. I, I do find that I can't put an adaptation as a best of if I know I picked the book in the episode. Yeah, and I know I picked the book for this one because I sure. really really liked Remark's book, um, and I, I preferred it to the to the version we got as good as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that can't that can't take the top spot. So that that was not one of my honorable mentions. So maybe we maybe we have the same one. I don't know. Should I go ahead and give my my top choice? Yeah, give your top choice. All right, number one, and maybe people will not be surprised to hear this um, because I know this movie has a really good reputation, and that's the Shawshank Redemption, Frank <laughs> Darabont. That was my number one choice. Um, I think I even called this episode masterpiece of an adaptation. <laughs> um, yep. It is. It's just a fantastic adaptation. It's everything you want in one. It like captures the spirit of the book. It improves on some things that were shortcomings. It reimagines things for film um, that works best in this medium. And then it just makes a striking, heartwarming story that's harrowing at times but ultimately uplifting you walk away from watching this movie feeling good um it's it's and it's, it's like a prison movie so you wouldn't think that that would be the case but man is it a memorable experience and i know a lot of people talk about it as their favorite movie and i could totally see why i don't know that it's my favorite movie um but man is it a good adaptation and when i thought about the best that we watched this year even with a year that had psycho and rashomon in it it ultimately had to be this one for me I love it. Yeah, I'm glad that you highlighted it because this is one of the ones that I actually left off my runner-up list. Okay, I thought for a moment we were going to align on everything, and I was like, we can't do that. That's okay. Yeah. I'm actually kind of glad that think you we're chose cheating. something else. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Shawshank, yeah, I mean, shot by Roger Deakins. Um, so it's just like right. It's, yeah, these shots that are so excellently blocked, and you're getting to to understand in some in some scenarios like how isolating this prison can be, and others how how expansive it feels when you have people. Who are in your corner and just like the scale of the story how it tr- it goes through decades and it's and it's giving you seeing you're seeing this is somebody's life and when you start thinking about people who are incarcerated and maybe even wrong wrongfully so uh yeah. 
or rightfully so, like what it can do to someone. And um, yeah. yeah, I think it's just a beautiful just, film. Just, it, yeah, because it does, it, it criticizes the prison complex, the, the prison system in our, in our country, which is so important to do, I think, and, and to something we should always be analyzing and looking at and, and saying, what are we doing to incarcerated people? And yeah. that a lot of that comes out of the book, but was even further highlighted in this. Even diehard Stephen King fans, I think, would say that this adaptation is possibly better than his source material in this case, yeah. too. And, it may be yeah, so and I had fun with the book, but it, it did not rise to this level. It's excellent, and then the performances are so good. Um, moving into my best watch, I'm I, I, maybe I have a guess, but I'm I'm yeah. so lost. You want to try to guess, or you want me to just tell you? Yeah, uh, you go. I I feel like I don't want to steal your thunder by guessing it, so you go ahead and say. So it's my best watch of the year, right? So it's the thing that speaks the most to me, and what, and like, it's a filmmaker for me that means a lot to me. It's a, a medium that means a lot to me. Uh, when we were in New York, I went to the uh, Museum of Modern Art and uh, like Pinocchio, stop motion Pinocchio this year, 2022. It is enjoyable for everyone. I know they say like, this about kids movies all the time where it's like it's good for the whole family. But this is genuinely like there's darkness to it. There is uh, moments that are taking down fascism in a Pinocchio story. That's yeah. like, And then just the meticulous craft, like the stop motion animation is always going to be something that really speaks to me. And they always push the envelope with the technology and the way that they can move so much in the scene at the same time and getting to see the armatures and the way that they do this. It's like that. It's like a every stroke of a painter being shown like, you know, in real time kind of thing with with this kind of filmmaking. Um, yeah. And Guillermo del Toro, uh, I, I just love that person. I, he is somebody that I look to as like he's like an advocate for film. Every story he tells, I think, is worth listening to. And uh, he his his version here, it just like will stand with me. And this is this is the ultimate version of Pinocchio to me at this point. Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, I, I'm glad you chose this one. It was just outside of my honorable mentions. It was knocking at the door. Um, it was my guess for what it, I was sitting there, like racking my brain, trying to figure out what it would be. And, and, and that was the only one I could come up with. I was like, maybe Wizard of Oz just because of how, like, f you know, historically interesting it is. But I'm like, no, if you, if you didn't choose Psycho, then you wouldn't, you know, so I kind of figured it out. And then I was like, oh, yeah, stop motion is, is a big thing you're passionate about. I, I don't know why. I guess it's something about it being a children's movie, even though it does appeal to all audiences. I think, like, I just personally can't quite. Com like compare that to something like Shawshank or you know it's like or some of these other like Psycho and like even Psycho and Rashomon I think would I'd put above it it just as good as it was it just didn't quite rise to that level for me but it is a really good one um and and I stand by that too like that this is the version of Pinocchio from now on that we should be showing people um totally. and and so heavily inspired by the the art of Gris Grimley um which was really cool to see so yeah I'm glad we got to highlight that one and uh we weren't in full alignment because that's not as interesting I think so what we like to do here at the end of these last looked episodes is look ahead. We've already mentioned a few things we're looking ahead to, but there's always more. I, there's some a few things we haven't talked about yet. Um, do you want to lead off with any, any things you're looking forward to, either that's going to be coming out next year or just in the future in general? Some, some synergy for the podcast. Obviously, we've been anxiously awaiting Dune. We thought we were going to get it this yeah. year. I think even last year in Last Looks, I, I kind of laughed at myself because I said I wouldn't be surprised if it got pushed back. And little did I know, like a writer strike was going to and, and like, yeah, a, we you know, couldn't have foreseen that. Strike. Yeah. Um, that's another thing to just be, uh, you know, grateful and think about, too, is like as artists, like hopefully continuing to advocate for ourselves and, and, and you know, yeah, for I a love better that. tomorrow. Collect collective action through a union coming together and successfully negotiating uh, more, more fair terms. Um, 
and you saw that with the writers and you saw that with the actors like that's amazing I, i'd love to see that I, I wish we would see more of it yeah ultimately and i don't mind projects being pushed back for because that's that's what we needed at the time and uh dune was one that got pushed back and honestly like more time for a project is usually not a bad thing usually that means that they have yeah. more time to get i haven't right. watched a single dune 2 trailer yeah i think maybe there was an early early teaser i watched and then I said, you know what? I'm not going to watch anything because I know we're covering it. And I'm so excited about it. I don't need to be any more hyped for this thing. Right. Because um, we love that original film. Um, it, as long as everything works out with scheduling, Fonda Lee has also already talked to me about how she would be excited to come back. So if we can get her on, uh, that would be super fun. Um, definitely looking forward to Dune 2. The Sandman Season 2 is supposed to be coming oh, yeah. in 2024. So... That would uh, be super fun. That was such a... I love those comics so much. I would love to return to that world. Yeah. Neil Gaiman again. Yeah. Uh, I just... I love Neil Gaiman. I love the Sandman. It speaks to my emo heart. And uh, <laughs> it uh, it would be fun to get more of that show on Netflix. I really like the show, but I think seeing it even improve would be would be really yeah. fun. Man, um, I'm excited for so many things. I'll rattle off a few here. Uh, Greta Gerwig is going to do a version of Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia. And I think that's the time where we get to finally tackle that because we've talked about covering Narnia a bunch of times. Uh, it was an important series for me growing up and like very like foundational fantasy series um, and fantasy book. Um, and even if I look back at it today and I'm like, I have mixed feelings about how heavily religious it is. Um, it's just like, you know, it's one that I'm, I think it's going to be fun to talk about. And Greta Gerwig is such an interesting filmmaker to see her come and do a, a Narnia thing. It's going to be really interesting. So yeah. I, I'm down. She's awesome. Um, love her. Yeah. And then another one, and I don't know if you've actually watched all of this. Maybe I think you saw a few episodes, but um, the interview with the vampire show um, confirmed for a season two. I don't know if it'll come out next year for sure, but I think it's supposed to. Um, and I really enjoyed that first season, man. Like finishing it out, I was really taken with it. Um, and as much as I liked that film we covered on the pod, like that season of television was so good and it improved on so many things. Um, I, I really had a great time with it. I'm excited to see what they do with the other part of this story that they have yet to tell. Um, yeah, really I need to watch that. more of it. I think it's held back by its Good. network right now too. I think they need to be like, I think really it's wide now. I, th I think it's, um, I think you can see it on like Hulu or something now. Like it's, it's, it's easier to get now after, after a little bit, or maybe it's on HBO max. I'm not sure. Cause but I know people, yeah. more people need to have access to that and, and I enjoyed yeah. it and I, I'd like to see it. It seems like it. it's one that got like good word of mouth, even though like it wasn't getting a huge amount of traction early. I think it built and built as people were like, this is actually really good. Um, and, and I totally agree with that. I think it's fantastic. It's some great performances, really daring choices made with the with changes made to the characters that I actually think worked out really well for the story. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I have one that I was reading about in research for this episode. Uh, and you probably I, I almost guarantee you know something more about this than I do. But I was reading about the three body problem. Yeah. And that's getting an adaptation. So that's the double D's. Uh, three body problem is a book that I'm sorry, like the, the, the guys who did Game of Thrones. Um, Weiss so, and Benioff. Weiss and Benioff. I always get their names mixed up. Yeah. Um, and so I have misgivings and is how I feel about this. And then also like the author is a little, I have some misgivings about some of the things he said in the past. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I feel complicated about this, but I like everybody I know who read this book seems to really love it. It is one of those like modern classics of science fiction that you hear about a lot. So it's one that we could probably tackle and just engage with the controversy head on like we normally do, like present it for the for the audience. Um, you know, just because we're covering something doesn't mean we're endorsing it. Um, but there is also you can get into some you know strange areas there. So I think it's one we'll cover, um, but I'm, I'm not 
committed to it just yet. I, I kind of yeah. have to see. I think I saw a trailer is out. I didn't watch it, but uh, the, you know, something that I saw that was it's like, like a okay, teaser. I, I think I did watch it. It looked okay. It know? sounds I mean, like uh, something just based on the premise. I was like, that sounds like something that yeah. we could have a good conversation about. Um, Absolutely. I, I'm going to mention another film that's been in the works for a while. And we've mentioned on a last looks before uh, Eggers Nosferatu. Yes. And I and, think that's coming out next year. And we that's absolutely something we're going to cover. Like yeah. we just have to. And we've already talked about the way we'll do that, which is um, read the original uh, Bram Stoker. We will watch probably a version of probably the the um, Coppola version. Coppola, Dracula. And then, yeah. And then we'll watch Nosferatu. And then for a bonus episode at some point, we'll cover the original uh, Weimar German Expressionism uh, 1930s-ish yeah. Nosferatu I film. think that's the way to do it. We'll see. We might we might read reappraise but um at the very least that that seems like a, a path forward for it i would love to get just super deep into dracula and like yeah. see all these different versions and and then eggers is such an interesting filmmaker i watched the witch for the first time this year yeah just blown away such, a, such, a, such a cool and the, the idea of this being like it was his debut right like i was like i was yep. so, so, so taken with it yeah. um really interesting filmmaker i i'm i'm so excited for that um I, i'll put i point out a couple things that um they're not necessarily new some of them are but things that we're looking like I'm looking at next year and I'm thinking we probably will cover these because um, they're high on our list, right? One we've talked about is Poor Things, which I think is out right now. And I know we've talked about wanting to cover that probably early in the year at some point. Absolutely. Um, yeah. it's, it's one that you're really interested in. I don't know a ton about it, but it seems really cool. Yorgos Lanthimos is probably, if I counted on 10 fingers, like my favorite working directors, Yorgos Lanthimos is probably in there. Cool. Um, he's got a really interesting look at And I know that, nothing about the him, world. So. Yeah. yeah, fascinated to check that one out. Um, we talked about doing Solaris, um, and and that's a filmmaker that I Tarkovsky again have heard of a lot. Yeah, yeah Tarkovsky, like I've heard of, but like I I don't know if I've ever seen one of his movies. And like I I feel like I got to to like round out my my film experience. And I think Solaris being this like sci-fi novel that's really well renowned, I I think is a perfect way to do that. He's in that same pantheon I put up with like a Hitchcock and like a Kurosawa. Tarkovsky wow. is like that revolutionary for for his time, and his films hold up today. They're they're mind bending in some ways. And I got two. I'll, I'll just say quickly that I think um would be would be cool ones to do, and they've been on our radar for a long time. Um, one is the Prestige, be a return to Nolan. Um, it would be a really fun one I think to get into for him. Um, we haven't really have we gotten to do like a like a primary episode on Chris Nolan. Like I don't I was going to say return to Nolan. What? Yeah, because I was thinking Nolan? about Memento. Oh yeah, okay. Which we, we did. did. Um, That's early Nolan. Yeah, yeah that was early Nolan. I, I think like Nolan like more in his powers here. I think would be would be interesting to get to. And then um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, draw, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the author at the moment, but I know it's an author we've been wanting to get to. Um, so I think that's a potential one we could do that I've been wanting to do. And then, of course, we're going to do Stephen King. Um, I think Misery might be atop a, a my list of, of, of Stephen King adaptations I want to get to. It's always possible that we'll also cover another one because sometimes we do multiple King. Um, oh, yeah. But that's one that I really want to do. Yeah, I, it's been high on my list for a while. I like that movie. I, I really want to start talking about Misery. I mean, we say this every year. We have yet to do it. It's almost a meme at this point, but... Um... Adaptation. <laughs> we we got to do adaptation <laughs> at some point, right? I think adaptation, uh, uh, if we find... Maybe it's our last episode we ever do. <laughs> I was about to say that. I was about to say that. I think if we find ourselves in a scenario where the podcast is winding down and we're ending it, adaptation is the final one. <laughs> but then that's like almost sad because it's like... 
uh, we have to put it off. And like, no, I'm kidding. I almost want to get I, to it before yeah. that. So I don't want to commit to that, but maybe. I don't this know. This podcast is never going to end. Like, what are we even talking about? <laughs> maybe yeah. not. I mean, as soon as they stop making adaptations. Um, <laughs> there's also one I'll just shout out. I don't know for sure that we're going to cover it, but um, it's it just got a little trailer, and I was reading about it. Sounds really interesting. It's called Spaceman. It's got Adam Sandler in it. I don't know if you saw this trailer. I, I did hear about the trailer. I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, and it's like him in like a serious role, but just the premise just sounds so fascinating to me. It sounds like a, the kind of sci-fi premise I'm really Somebody into. who's normally much more dramatic is also in the film with him. I forget okay. who. I don't think I saw or, or any maybe other, the filmmaker maybe the or something. other cast or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, there's so many good things, man. We already talked about Murderbot, too, with Skarsgård. Like, there's so many things I'm looking forward to. Uh, Dark Tower. Yeah. Well, let's talk about personally. Uh, what are we looking forward to in the new year? Just briefly here. Yeah. Um, what is there anything you're looking forward to in 24? We're wedding planning, so yeah, uh, we'll I'm see. I'm looking forward we're... to going to it. Yeah, we'll I see mean, I'm we're... hoping I'll be invited. Yeah, I think you might be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the we don't know yet if it'll be 24 or 25. We're we're leaning towards 24, but we'll see uh, if yeah. we can get everything together for that. And then just in general, um, continuing to work on my own, uh, you know, filmmaking career. I, I work a lot in the commercial space and I like I like working in narrative as well and I've I've been doing more narrative stuff, um, but as I've said as I've said literally listening to our last uh, year's coverage of 2022 last looks, uh, it's expensive to get stuff made in this industry and you have to really find backers you have to find fan- financial backers and you have to find people who are who are willing to work with you. Um, in scenarios that aren't necessarily like the highest profile gigs and things like that. So I know a lot of people who are willing to do that. And so I'm looking forward to like working on more personal projects and then just in general, like uh, being grateful for the people that I do work with. I've, I've found myself in a, in a sphere that I, that of people that I really enjoy and who are very creative and like enriching in that way. Other goals. I want to definitely push to, to get, um, the podcast growing on YouTube. Yeah. I want it to grow audio in the audio form. And I don't know if what that looks like, you know, I'm starting to think about like joining podcasting networks and, and things like that. And just starting to like feature on other people's podcasts, but there's a lot that goes with that. And, there's and I a really, lot, yeah. yeah, there's a lot that goes with that. And I, I would prefer to maintain as much control as we can and we That's will maintain control. Yeah. But, uh, overall just like, it's really fun seeing the podcast grow and more people come to it. And we really do, we're really blessed in the fact that like we get a lot of good feedback and it's not, um, you know, we would get the, uh, you know, occasional trolls, but like people seem to really enjoy the podcast and, and that, that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a passion project for us, but it's also, um, you know, it's, it's helps us in our, in our individual careers and it helps us to continue studying this stuff. It sounds, I mean, I'm in the world of academia. It sounds like you're also, uh, jumping into that with with being a, a little um, bit, a little bit, an instructor of of a sort. Yeah. Um. But that that you know, everyone's everyone's always changing and evolving, and that's what these kind of episodes made me think about is, is uh you know grateful and also just like continue to change and continue to push ourselves to to yeah. pursue these artistic things. The history of our podcast has been one of iteration, I think, and we, we every year we always try and figure out little ways we can shift little, little things we can do to, to improve. And we'll continue to do that. And I have some ideas that we'll talk about in our, in our off season planning that we do. Um, and uh, yeah, I agree. I think getting to a thousand subscribers would be an awesome milestone to hit where we're, I think getting pretty, I mean like relatively close to it where I think at 675 as of recording this, something like that. Um, so yeah, if you, if you are listening to this and you haven't subscribed yet, make sure to do that. Um, personally, I, I just want to like, keep the faith and keep working at what I've been working at for this book. 
but then also not getting too caught up in the clerical paperwork. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not paperwork; it's all digital. But you know what I mean. The submitting, like it, it's a part of the writing life. But as someone who like, I have ADHD, and I'm able to sometimes hit this like hyper focus on things, and it's like both good and bad. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways it works for me and works against me. And with the submitting stuff, it's very easy for me to spend all my free time obsessing over the process and obsessing over reading everything I can and learning everything I can and you know reading the bios of all these agents and figuring out how to just perfectly you know customize my query letter and just like it there is a like diminishing returns on some of this stuff and yet it's a really easy way to sink my time and and that is time that is taken away from my ability to do other creative work and create more art so one of the things I want to try and do is while I maintain that and while I maintain the process, I want to make sure I'm giving myself time and putting energy into creating more new material um, because that's like the path forward, right? And as, as artists, we should be working on new stuff and I want to be working on new yeah. stuff. I have been doing some, but like I want to do more of it. Um, you know, it's so funny. That, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that too because I was having a conversation with my fiance, Caitlin, about how like I want to do, I find myself thinking back to 2023 and thinking like i did a lot of things this year that were good for me but also weren't necessarily the things i wanted to be doing at the time and like that's i think a push towards like enjoying everything like doing the things you want to do and just saying like fuck it and uh you know kind of letting go with some things that you can't control that's definitely like i don't that's kind of a vague thing to say as like a goal or resolution but what you're saying kind of spoke to that i don't know that thing that i'd been thinking of as well I, yeah, I see what you're getting at there. The other thing I'm looking forward to in this year is I am planning to attend Worldcon in Scotland. Yeah, and I'm really cool. excited to to go there. Um, it's just, you know I've never been to anywhere in Europe, much less Scotland. Um, but as a big fan of their whiskeys, and um, <laughs> as a big fan of uh, a lot of stuff over there, and 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 like my my family history goes back to Scotland, so I'm excited for that reason too. Um, I just think it's going to be a really cool trip. And then getting to wrap in a Worldcon, which is always a really fun convention to go to at the same time, um, it sounds like a perfect thing for me. And I, I really hope everything works out for it because it's a big sort of daunting trip to plan. Um, but I am very excited about it. I also have found out that I'm going to be on programming again at NorwestCon uh, coming up in a few months here. Um, I don't know exactly what panels yet. Um, I have submitted my like interest, my panel interest survey thing. Um, but I know I'll be on a few and um, they sound really interesting. So I'll be sharing that as soon as I get, you know, get that returned and I know what I'm going to be on. Um, so I'm excited to continue to develop that part of my career too. And like being in public, uh, public appearances and, and talking on things. And I would love at some point to get us both to a con together. Yeah, because honestly, I think we could probably both be on some panels and, and, and people do live recordings of their podcasts at a lot of these conventions all the time. I always see it and go like, man, that could be ink to film. I don't know what a live version of our show looks like, but uh, yeah. we could we could figure something out, I think. We could, yeah. I, it's funny, like I have a podcast and still there are times where I'm like, people don't want to hear me on paneling, do they? But like, <laughs> I should be more comfortable with it, step out of my yeah. comfort zone a little bit. And it would be fun to do, do, do a convention together and, and get to experience like doing something like that. And also just like going and meeting people and, and like getting to hang out with with like minded people at a convention like that. Yeah, I, I think it would be great. I, I'm going to push you towards it. And hopefully yeah. we can find some, some way to do that at some point yeah. here. Um, I mean, beyond that, man, I'm a little bit nervous about 2024. 
Um, it's a year of a presidential election. It's going to be a rough one. Um, you know, no matter how it turns out, I think it's going to be a difficult one. It's going to be a difficult year. I think we're there are going to be some real rough patches ahead. I am nervous. Um, I am nervous that the left is going to not be able to unite in the way that I think is going to be required to overcome this this you know fascist threat to our country and to our way of life. Um, I, I, I worry about that, but you know, I also want to remain hopeful and. Uh, I, I am I am determined to fight and, you know, to do what we got to do. Um, you know, there's too much on the line, right? Every social issue we talk about, like bodily autonomy for women, like there's so many things on the line. The ability to just have a democratic country at this point uh, is on the line. And I think we, we got to keep that in perspective. Um, and yeah, beyond that, I just I just hope for peace and hope for uh, an end to the bloodshed. Agreed. I mean, it's like a it's a sad way to leave off this episode, but I agree with yeah. you. It's like it's the state of the world currently. Yeah. We need to we need to you know be moving in a direction that we want to leave for the next generation. And you know, I think right now as things stand, I would hate to leave I would hate to leave the earth and and in the state that it's in. So yeah, let's try to make the world a better place. Let's try to you know vote accordingly and, and advocate for the things that need to be advocated for. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit more just so we don't leave it quite there. But um, I am looking forward to our, our eighth season, which is what we'll be coming up with here now. And um, I think it's going to be a fun one. There's a lot of things on the horizon that I'm excited about. I think it's going to be a good year in adaptations, you know, at the very least. And I am excited about that. And I hope that everyone uh, will will stick with us. We'll, we'll be off for a few weeks while we plan, while we prepare for the new season. Then we'll be back. And we'd love to have you join us then. So until next year, keep adapting.